0: Um, today is the, um, as Kyle mentioned, the first Sunday of Advent. And I want to tell you a couple things about that. Number one, if you didn't grow up around a church, I didn't grow up around this church, uh, that celebrates Advent. Every Christmas season, we kind of pause uh, for four weeks in the run-up to Christmas uh, to let these themes of hope, peace, joy, and love um, permeate our services, permeate our thinking, permeate our, permeate our study, and uh, we, we want these themes to be a part uh, of our lives. These four themes represent a lot about the Christmas season, and um, we, we want that to do that. So if you grew, uh, excuse me, if you didn't grow up around That's what we're symbolizing. I'll light the candle here in just a second as a symbol that we have hope. We have hope today. Uh, Secondly, if you did grow up around churches that celebrated Advent and you're looking at your calendar, you think Advent actually starts next Sunday, and you'd be right. But we're ahead of the curve on this, people. Like we're pace setters out in front of everybody else. That's what we're doing. Uh, and, And also, we're starting Advent a week early because uh, on Christmas Eve falls on a Sunday this year and we're not having Sunday morning services. We're having three um, Christmas Eve services at 3, 4, 30, and 6. And so uh, we want you to be aware of that. Uh, one more thing just uh, uh, to push a little bit for what Kyle said. Um, uh, the thing with Wedgwood Elementary on the tree there is such a crucial part of who we are as a church family at Christmas time. And so please participate in that. Uh, we also will be um, sending out, we've already sent it out a couple of times. We'll send it out again. Our, our further outreach with, uh, we get to uh, work at Brookside uh, with toys uh, that can be delivered for the Brookside um, uh, um, Christmas store, and then we will have hams that can be delivered to flood-affected families. Um, All of that we want you to push out to all of your friends, to your companies, all of those kinds of people outside uh, who will uh, want to participate in some tangible way in Harvey Relief. This is a great opportunity to do that. If you're missing the links, we'll um, refresh those on our Facebook page and other places, Uh, but we want you to know that all of that is still very much a go, and we're very excited about that. Um, Things have Already started rolling in. We've got Amazon boxes are coming in. It's very exciting, and I think we're going to get to bless a lot of families. Just good ministry, church. It's good ministry, and so I'm excited about that. Um, if you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to invite you to the book of Romans, and we're going to start this theme of hope from uh, the book of Romans. It's chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, if you have your Bible. If you don't have one, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free to go grab one. If you need to grab one, you can borrow it um, or you can take it with you. Either way is fine by us. Uh, If you need a Bible that you can read and understand, feel free to grab one of those. It's our gift to you. It's the translation that I'll be preaching from. Uh, If you're a user of the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app, you can crack your uh, app open right now. Uh, Open that app and uh, jump online with our live event You'll find the scriptures and the sermon notes and that kind of thing. Uh, As I said, uh, today we light this first candle of Advent, the candle of hope. And uh, really, these next four Sundays, I really just want to try to, um, each Sunday, drive home a single point. Um, And today, as I said, we'll start with this whole idea of hope. Um, And hope and promise get tied together. And let me just give you a brief example of that from my yesterday. (laughs) I was out in the front yard yesterday uh, in shorts and t-shirts because it's Houston in November, right? Okay, so we're outside in the front and um, uh, older sister comes out on the leash uh, is the dog. Okay, so older sister walking the dog. Younger sister comes out and decides that she now wants to walk the dog. Anybody have two daughters in here? Anybody ever have conflict with those two daughters? drama evolves and tears and I want to walk the dog. You're going to get to walk the dog. Okay, logic is not working at this point. I want to walk the dog. And it's just, it continues to grow and to grow and to grow. And I finally grab her little face. I don't lift her off the ground, even though it looks like I did, but I grab her little face and I say this, daddy promises you as soon as Your sister is done walking the dog. You will get to walk the dog. I promise. But I want to walk the dog right now. I promise. I promise you that as soon as she's done walking the dog, you can walk the dog. Now, will you come help me in the garage? I don't even remember. I made up some chore that we needed to do to distract and move on. So uh, off we go, right? And uh, there, things settled. Tears stopped. Um, I consider this a parenting victory, right? And 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 um, it seemed that hope began to flourish. I mean, just come up just a little bit because, not five minutes later, because it only takes that long, right? Am I right? We had all of this drama, a 15-minute drama for five minutes of action. That was just how that worked. But uh, So five minutes later, she's walking the dog. About two minutes after that, she sets the leash down, and you know, I mean, this is how it goes around our house. So daddy made a promise, and there was this little bit of hope that sprang up because of that. Daddy made a promise, and it brought hope. And I, the, the single point that I want to drive home today is this, that God, we, you and I, we have hope because God keeps His promises. Daddy, Father made a promise and hope. And th- th- we see this in all sorts of other areas, not only with squishy little five-year-old Lives, but also, if uh, you, you going through work right now. Bumped into one of our guys who's moved to California. Is back just for the weekend. How's work, right? Oh, it's a lot right now, uh, right? I mean, it's a lot. and inevitably, if you have a boss or a manager or a colleague, even who comes along to you, and says, "Man, I know. Listen, this season right now, it's crazy, but I promise, what it's going to get better." I'm not so sure about it. okay, but I promise it's going to get better. And the point of that is the hope of that. Is that it will actually get better? Um, maybe you see this uh, in some other uh, some other place. Uh, my wife, uh, specifically with. Your body is. My wife's a physical therapist, um, and uh, you know she sees these people come in. They're hurting, right? And then the job of the physical therapist is is to hurt you more so that you can get better, right? And inevitably, as you're in some contortion stretch thing that they're working on, and I promise you, this hurts right now. But I promise you, what this is going to get better. Okay. Uh, much more seriously, maybe you see it in the ebb and flow of your, your relationships and, and uh, particularly marriage. You know, everybody has this. And somewhere down here in the nadir, um you look at one another and you say, hey, I know this is just a season. And you and I made a promise together to stick this out. And what I believe that that promise is going to bring for you and for me is that this is not going to last forever. This will what? This, this will get better. This will get better. So here we have promise and hope, promise and hope, promise and hope. And this is, one more time, this is the thing. I want you to just take this home with you. You and I, we have hope because God is the one who keeps his promises. So here in the text, we're going to read just a couple of verses at first, and then we'll work our way down through some more. But chapter, Romans chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 8 romans fifteen eight for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised just pause right there it 's a weird way to describe the Jews okay Christ became um, a a servant to the Jewish people to show god 's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, who are we talking about we 're talking about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Moses and David, and all those Old Testament guys that you read about, all the stuff that shows up in Sunday school lessons, like those those are the promises and then he says in verse nine, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify, glorify God for his mercy, so uh, as we try to offload some of this freight about um, you and I, we have hope because God keeps his promises let Just give you a couple things to think about. Here's number one, God's promises are always true. That's, that is so important for you and I to hang on to because we've heard of promises, we've been made promises, we've seen people on TV make promises that are not true. God, you and I, we have hope because God's promises are true. He keeps his promises and his promises are true. I, I say that, uh, I bring this up in, importantly, I think, because of a couple of things um uh, n- number one even when it looks like he can't god's promises are still true at the end of verse eight jesus confirms these promises given to the patriarchs the very first person we think about when we hear the word patriarch is abraham when it comes to the bible patriarch and abraham that's who goes together abraham what was god's promise to abraham anybody remember a kid right Uh, And that promise came to Abraham when he was 90. 90. And so this conversation with God and Abraham goes something like this. Abraham, I promise you a kid. Abraham's going, yeah, awesome, God. I'm 90. Sarah ain't exactly a young spring chicken either. Like, 90 and not... Very far from 90. Like, come on, God. I've got a servant, though, and he's like a son to me, and this will be okay. I'm not sure. This is what Abraham was saying, even though he never said it. And this is what you and I might be guilty of sometimes, even though we never say it. God, I'm not sure that you actually can keep this promise. I'm not sure that you actually can. You think about all the places that that applies in your life and where that connects to where you're living right now. In your family situation, in your work situation, with the things that are rolling around in your heart, in your soul, in your relationships, in your finances, in your body, wherever it may be. You're holding on to something. Oh God, I, I gotta believe you here. I gotta believe you for this. I gotta believe you for this. I'm not actually sure that you can keep this. I'm here to tell you, church, God's promises are true even when it looks like he can't. Because you know what happened with Abraham? About 10 years later, guess what? There was a kid. Abraham laughed. Sarah laughed. They named the kid laughter. I mean, this is what happened. Even when it looks like he can't, God's promises are still true. The other challenge, and I think that it's slightly represented in this patriarch thing, it's represented in another place. We'll turn in just a second. But even when it looks like he won't or he isn't, some of the challenge sometimes in in believing that God's promises are true are issues of time. God, I, I believe that this is true. I'm just not sure it's going to be true anytime soon. And so it doesn't look like you're actually at work. It looks like you won't actually fulfill this promise. It looks like you're not actually going to make this stuff happen. Can I give you just a brief example of this? Uh, Can you turn backwards to the very first chapter of Matthew? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Matthew is the first uh, book of the Old, uh, excuse me, of the New Testament. It's a very important page I'm about to show you in your Bible. Matthew chapter one, everybody there? Now, I want you to flip back one page. So there's my Matthew 1, and then there's the end of Malachi, and I've got this page in between. Anybody with me on this? Anybody got a page here? My page says the New Testament. It lets me know that I'm now turning the page to a different kind of covenant, right? I got this page right here. You know what this page represents? 400 years of people saying, God, I'm not sure you're actually fulfilling the promises that that you made. God, I know that you can. I'm just not sure that you will. Or I'm just not sure that you are. This page represents 400 years. Malachi, Old Testament, last guy to speak in the Old Testament, somewhere in the ballpark of 400 to 450 BC. Next person who comes along and speaks for God shows up in Matthew, John the Baptist, proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand. 400 years. Of quiet, silence. God's not speaking, heaven's not moving, things are not happening. It doesn't appear like things are shaken at all. God, I know that you can. I just I just don't think you're going to. But you know what happened in this four hundred years right here? Why this is an important page? Because in this four hundred years, God is setting up world history. So that when Jesus comes on the scene, it's exactly like he likes it. When Jesus shows up, it's exactly, things are in play that are exactly where they need to be. 400 years is a long time to wait. But 400 years is what God was doing and using in order to make make his people hungry for the word and to put things in place in the world. 400 years. God's promises are true, even when it looks like he can't, and even when it looks like he isn't or he won't. And I just point you back to what Paul said in, in the book of Romans here in chapter uh, 15, verse 8. Christ became a servant to the Jewish people, the circumcised, in order to show God's truthfulness. His promises are always true. In order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Jesus is confirmation of those promises. So when he came, in, at the beginning of verse 8, Christ became a servant. To the, he showed up in human form and began showed up as a servant to the Jews. He was also confirming promises given to the patriarchs. Jesus is confirmation of his promises. What promises are we talking about? There's all sorts of numbers and names that go along with this. Somewhere in the ballpark of 40 promises in the Old Testament are, 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 um, are fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. Look, Can we just look at a couple? Can we do that together? This is Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name what? Emmanuel, which means, everybody, God with us. And indeed, that's prophesied in Isaiah 7, fulfilled there in Isaiah's time, but also fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1, where uh, Matthew says, hey, listen, this is exactly what God was planning. This is what was coming. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For, us, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. Anybody singing? Uh, that handles Messiah in their minds right now? Okay. Um, uh, And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Isn't that good? Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there shall be how much? How much end shall there be? No end. Nobody's going to stop this. Oh, I'm excuse me on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. So good. We don't have to count on a government um, to actually bring good to the world. We've got a kingdom that we can count on. Anybody with me on that? All right, here we are. Let's keep moving. Uh, Micah chapter five. But you, O Bethlehem, Epaphthah, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah. Anybody feel like too little to be a part of what God's doing? Here's a little bitty Bethlehem. From you shall come forth for me, one who is to be a a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. He's going to come from Bethlehem. Just a couple more. This is uh, Moses speaking in Deuteronomy 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, Moses says, from among you, you, from your your brothers. um, It is to him you shall listen. Moses is saying, hey, you think I'm awesome? There's somebody else coming who's going to blow your mind. A prophet like you've never seen. Jesus. And then last one. Um, From 2 Samuel, David says to God, God, I'm going to build you a house and it's going to be awesome. God looks at David and goes, look, since we're in a house building conversation, you can't build me a house. It's not like I dwell in houses made by hands. I'm going to build you a house, David. And here's what he says, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. There will always be a Davidic descendant on the throne of God's people, and that Davidic descendant, that descendant of David, that's Jesus. Your throne shall be established forever and ever. These are just some of the promises made to the patriarchs um, that Jesus confirms for you and for me. And we could go through a a bunch more, dozens more. um, God's promises, the point of this is that God's promises are true. We have hope today because God keeps his promises. His promises are true. And secondly, God's promises are for all his people. Can we go back to verse 8 for a second? For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, to the Jewish people. Jesus came, um, he was born a man and he was born a Jew. And in order to, uh, that, that was a crucial part of, of God's strategy in bringing salvation to the world is that Jesus would step into the people of God and from there would spring salvation. Paul, um, this is why Jesus, I guess I'll say it this way, that Jesus in, in doing this, he fulfilled the law for you and for me. He fulfilled the law for you and for me. He he became a servant to the Jewish people, those who are under the law, in order to show God's truthfulness and in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. He fulfilled the law for you and for me. Again, it was important that Jesus step into humanity as a Jew. Here's what Paul said in Galatians chapter 4. Look at this verse. But when the fullness of time had come, remember that that 400 years, that page-rattling 400 years of eerie silence, was God setting up the fullness of time. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem those who were under the law so that you and I might receive the adoption as sons. We could legally and relationally be brought into God's family, but we had to be set free um, from the law first. That is why Jesus had to come for you and for me. He had to come to fulfill the law. And that's a crucial part of this. Um, and, And... don't miss this. It was not just part of the law that Jesus fulfilled for you and for me. It wasn't as if he just fulfilled some, and then some of it was left out for you and me to work out on our own. He fulfilled all of the law. Not just part of it, all of the law. Can we keep reading in verse 9? and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Now, watch the brilliance of Paul right here. Paul was one sharp cat. Look at what he does in verse 10. And again, it is said, rejoice, O people, excuse me, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Pause. That's a quote from the Old Testament. What book? Can you just look at it and see real quick? Can you see? Deuteronomy. That's, that's from the Torah, what we call the law. That's the first five books of the, uh, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. So we've got the law. Paul is quoted here from the law. Verse 11, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the people extol him. That is from, anybody? The Psalms. So now we've got the law, and now he's quoted from the Psalms, saying the same thing. The law is saying one thing, the Psalms are saying the exact same thing. Here they are, saying the whole thing. Verse 12, and again, Paul gives it away here. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles in him will the Gentiles hope. Isaiah is a, somebody, a prophet. So now we've got the law, and we've got the Psalms, and we've got the prophets, Jesus, this is brilliant right here. Jesus didn't fulfill some of the law. He fulfilled how much of it? All of it. And here Paul shows from the law, the Torah, from the writings, the Psalms, and from the prophets saying the same thing over and over again. Jesus didn't fulfill just some of it. He fulfilled all of it so that all of God's people, all of them, Jewish folks, Gentile people, religious insiders, irreligious outsiders could rejoice before God. All of it is fulfilled, not part of it, all of it. And because that's the case, Jesus opens the storehouse of mercy for us. As Gentile people, as people who were excluded, and we'll look at this in just a second, as people who are excluded um, from this, this covenant uh, with, with God, as Gentile people, uh, Jesus is the reason why you and I can, can indeed glorify God for his mercy. I'll just give you, this is a silly example. But I, it's an example. Uh, somewhere in my uh, junior high slash high school career, I don't remember exactly when this phenomenon, this fashion phenomenon, swept Huntsville, Texas. But, and I'm not talking about parachute pants. Okay, we're not going to go there. But there was a point where the tennis shoe of choice was Capas. Anybody with me, Capa? Anybody? Got one. Thank you, Lorena. Great. Oh, two. Thank you, Jared. Okay. Two people. That's, uh, Huntsville was a little backwards back then, obviously. There's just two. Anyway. So capas were the thing, right? And, and I played a lot of tennis. They were a good tennis shoe. I played a lot of tennis. And so I asked my mom and dad consistently for a pair of capas because not only did I want good tennis shoes, but also everybody I knew had them. And because my parents were mean and lacked generosity and generally hated their children, they did not buy me any capas at all, ever, still to this day. And I don't think that they're made anymore, although somebody said they think they may be made in Austin now, which would be its own problem. But um, that. that, that I'm okay. I really am. I'm just venting for just a moment. Um, But there was a point, I never have owned a pair of capas. And when I would go to my parents and say, Mom and Dad, these are good tennis shoes. And by the way, my neighbor John has one. And the girl I sit next to in class, she has some. And everybody else that I call a friend, they all have them. And Mom and Dad would look at me with complete and utter parental logic and say this You play tennis, right? Yes. How often do we burn through shoes? And the answer is, a lot. I could go through a pair of tennis shoes in about three weeks. It was, because you just played a lot of tennis, right? We ain't paying whatever it was, $80 or whatever it was, for thinking a pair of shoes that are gonna last you three weeks. You can wear what you, but mom, you don't understand. Like they've got some, they're good tennis shoes. Maybe they'll last longer. Why do you hate me and not buy me? I can sit there in class and see capas all around me, right? I mean, I could just, they're so close that I could just reach out and touch them. I even asked somebody like, what shoe size do you have? Like maybe we could trade and I could own some use ca- I'm not sure how this is going to happen. I mean, to be that close and not be able to experience the fullness of capa. And what if we were that close and not able to experience the fullness of what God had done for us? This is Jesus opens up the storehouse of mercy, not just for some, but for all of his people, both Jews and Gentiles, religious insiders and irreligious outsiders. I want to show you this in Ephesians chapter 2. So flip a few pages to the right, um, to the book of Ephesians. It's uh, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, and then Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse 11. Don't miss this. This is so good. Therefore, remember, this is uh, Ephesians 2.11, Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision by the Jewish people, Which, by the way, Paul says, which is made in the flesh by hands. That's just a human thing. Verse 12. Remember, listen to how it describes it. You were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. Gentiles stood there in the middle of a, of a classroom full of capable wearing people, and they were unable to get a hold of what was actually going on around them. They stood in the middle of God's activity in the world, and were not able to experience and live it. Why? Because they were strangers. They were alienated. They were They had no hope, and they were without God in the world. And then listen to this storehouse of mercy. Can you hear the door creaking open as things begin to flow our way? Look at what it says in verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been what? Brought near by our own good effort and good looks. No, by the blood of Christ. The reason you and I have hope today is not because we're so great. It's but because Jesus has done for us, has opened up the storehouse of mercy and God keeps his promises and his promises are true. And he has promises for all of his people. Those who were inside from the beginning and those who were outside, who are being brought in Jews and Gentiles. We didn't deserve it folks. God did it because that's who he is and it would be so terrible to be that close and not experience it. And Jesus came, verse eight, Romans 15:8. Jesus came as a servant in order to fulfill the law, yes, and in fulfilling the law, he opens the storehouse for everybody else to. He came so that we could experience everything that he has. And lastly, God's promises are good are for good in the world. His promises are true. We have hope today because he keeps his promises and those promises are true and those are for all of his people and God's promises are for good in the world. Look at verse 12 again. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. That's Jesus he's talking about. Even he who arises to do what? To rule the Gentiles. Most people think when they hear rule the Gentiles, they think rule the Gentiles, Right? You know, get those Gentiles. No, no, no. That's not the kingdom that Jesus brings. Kingdom Jesus brings is an invitation to say, hey, you who are far off, come here. Come here, come here, come here. here." Be brought near by the blood of Jesus. You who are alienated, come, 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 come. Come be adopted into God's family. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. Verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Okay, just two things here. Uh, God's promises are for good in the world. Our hope, because we have hope, because God keeps his promises, and this hope, you and I experience this as we live according to his rule. Our hope is found in his rule. That's what he says, even who arises to rule the to rule the Gentile. Let me ask you this. Just looking at the news, just looking at the world, does anyone think we humans are qualified to run the joint? Anyone think that there's anybody smart enough to set up any system that will actually make this world go like it's supposed to? Our hope is not in some external entity in some system. Our hope is in the kingdom of God coming to life in our hearts and then expressing itself in our lives. That's our only hope, folks. That's our only hope. Um, Anyone who who thinks (laughs) otherwise, man, you're just fooling yourself. His rule in our hearts, not in our government, folks. The kingdom comes in our hearts. His rule in our hearts is the only path forward for dealing with the things that we face. I'll just give you a brief example here right out of the text. Just very, very brief. Um, Romans 14, in the first seven verses of Romans 15, are about a racial issue in the Roman church. We don't have any race issues in our area or culture or anything, so I know it probably doesn't apply to... Of course we do. And so the issue in the Roman church was Jews had been expelled from Rome, had come back. There's this Gentile church, and how are we now going to get along? How are we going to get... um, There was all sorts of questions about, should we eat this? Should we eat that? Should we eat in front of these people or not? And there was all sorts of things about how this was going to play out. Paul's answer is basically this. Basically this. Listen, the gospel has created not just a new person, but a new people. And the kingdom of God comes in people's hearts And therefore, you need to love the people who are around you, no matter what their weaknesses are, or failings are, or struggles are. Love people like that. That's why he says, can we just back up one verse to chapter 15, verse 7? Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you to the glory of God. The issue of race in Rome, the issue of race in Houston, is the, the answer for those questions that we're facing begins when we let Jesus conquer our hearts and then begin to live his kingdom out in the lives and in the relationships that we have. I say this as a thoroughly white pastor in a mostly white church. It starts in here for you and for me, folks. That's where it starts. Our hope is found in his rule, surrendering to his lordship. Secondly, secondly, I just point this out, that his outcomes are always good. His promises are for good in the world, and his outcomes are always good. Look at verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy. Anybody need some all joy? And all peace. Anybody? All peace? Anybody down with that? In, in all believing, in faith. All joy, all peace, all faith. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Anybody up for abounding in hope? I mean, like all of these things, they, they, they come when we um, set our lives in alignment with him. Following him may not be easy, but it's, it's good. And it's good for us. And it's good for the world. I point that out simply because there's a world out there that needs to uh, know that there's a people who can abound in hope. Yeah? Abound in hope. Where does that come from? From the God of hope. Now, when we believe that his promises are true, and they are, they are good, um, and they are for his people, and they are for good in the world. When we believe and we go live like that, things change. And here's one of the big promises that he offers. It's for you and for me. He offers forgiveness of sins. He offers new life. If you came here this morning, I just plead with you this morning, first Sunday of Advent. There's a hope that you can have that you may not have today. You who were far off can be brought near. You who were um, alienated can be brought into his family. If you've never given your life to Christ today, never received the forgiveness of sins that he has for you, and never um, uh, surrendered your life and let him take control and his power and life come to live in your life, And today can be that day. You can walk out of here with a different kind of hope. Some of you are facing other things, work, finances, bodies, relationships. He's called the God of hope. The God of hope. Where else are you going to turn? Nowhere else. So if we can pray with you about any of those things, if you want to know what it means to follow Jesus, if you've got something else in your life, we want to uh, invite you to the back, back there at the tables. We'll be back there and you can uh, just swing by. We'd love to pray for you. I'm going to take a second and pray right now and then we'll, we'll respond with a song, okay? Um, Father, thanks for just a couple of minutes here. In your word, I pray that it's, your spirit works and speaks and moves. God, you would bring conviction where it's needed. God, and you would bring um, healing, sweetness, tenderness where it's needed. And gentleness. Do what's best for your people who are gathered here. Every person here who's heard the word this morning, do what's best. Thank you for hope. Thank you for your promises that are true today and that are for good in the world. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Everybody said, amen, amen. Let's stand together. One more song and um, we will um, dismiss in just a moment. If we can pray with you, please make your way to the back. If you have questions about what it means to follow Jesus, come back, we'll pray with you about that too.